So uh, we've, my family's lived in Salem for six and a half years or so, and uh, at our house we have a tree um, in, our, in our front yard or kind of next to our driveway. And for a lot of years I didn't have any kind of an idea what this tree was, like what sort of tree it was. Uh, I mean, it would flower in the spring and it looked pretty and uh, you know, it would drop, drop flowers all over our car because it hung over our driveway and you know, it, was just a, it was just a tree. Didn't really think much about it or, or have any idea of what kind of tree it was. Well, uh, last year, for the first time, uh, it, it suddenly uh, it, it sprouted crab apples. And so this, this tree was just covered with crab apples for a good part of the summer, dropping them all over our car. And we'd pull out of the driveway and the apples would roll on the roof. Uh, but, but just crab apples uh, appeared on this tree out of, out of nowhere. Now, I'm still holding out hope that it's a plum tree. Um, because, I mean, I love a good ripe plum, and the, the, you know, the thought of just being able to go out and just pick a plum and, and eat it right off the tree would be good. Or, I mean, actually, cherries. There's nothing better than, than a good Oregon cherry in the summer. So, I mean, I'm, I'm still kind of holding out hope that it's a cherry tree. But, uh, no, it's a crab apple tree. And how do I know that it's a crab apple tree? Because it bore crab apple fruit. And so, that's, that's kind of the message of today's passage in a nutshell. Um, we really probably don't need to be up here for very long because uh, it's a short passage, and in some ways it's a simple passage, but there's some real, uh, there's some significant truth in here for us. So uh, I want to invite you, if you haven't already, turn to Luke chapter 6. We're going to just be in three verses today. Uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 43. This is, this is Jesus speaking, and, and I know we just kind of returned to Luke after being away from it for a few months, but, but we're in a sermon that Jesus is giving to his disciples, and, and so he's kind of coming to the conclusion of his sermon here. He's kind of beginning to wrap things up here. So we're going to read from verse 43 uh, through 45. He says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. So before we get underway in this passage, I just want to point out uh, what... Jesus is doing here. Um, he's saying something, he, he's using a metaphor of the tree to tell us something in, in looking at the world. And just like the, the crab apple tree in my front yard, we know looking at this tree now that there's no other fruit that can come from this tree. This is just the way the world works. And so Jesus is saying, you know how the world works. There's, some, there's order in creation and there's a certain way that things go. And so he's using this metaphor to give us some significant truth. Now, some passages in, in much of the sermon that we have been reading of Jesus, we, we call it the Sermon on the Plain, uh, sometimes it's called the Sermon on the Mount, uh, but in Luke we believe it's, he was on a plain, so we call it the Sermon on the Plain. Um, but a lot of this passage and a lot of other teachings, Jesus is instructing something to us, right? He's, he's calling us away from something or calling us towards something. And I think it's important for us to understand in this passage, Jesus is describing more than he's telling us to do anything. There's a call to action here, right? We'll get there. There certainly is something for us to do, but I don't want us to start there. Instead of starting with this notion of, okay, we're going to read this passage and immediately say, what should I do? 
I want us to just first look at what Jesus says is true. And, and in understanding and kind of unearthing what's true from this passage, from this metaphor that Jesus uses, uh, I think we'll start to see God's intent for our lives. Now, again, for context, I mentioned that Jesus is concluding his sermon on the plane here. And what this sermon is all about, what he's been teaching his disciples and his followers, is really he's laying out an ethic for how Christians should live. He's, he's painting a picture saying the, the kingdom of God, the people who, who follow Christ, live a certain way. And he contrasts that with the world. And... Um, and so he has been giving a lot of instructions as far as how we should live. He's, he's describing what it looks like for us to live as a community of believers, kind of counterculturally to the broken world around us. And so now he's concluding this, and he's saying, if your life is going to resemble what I've just been describing, right, the, the ways to live, you can go back and read all of, all of Luke uh, chapter, chapter 6, really, uh, and, and get a sense of that teaching. We're not going to do that right now, but I encourage you to do it. Uh, he's saying, if you want to look like this, the fruit, you know, we call the, the actions of our life, the things that come out of us, these are the things that he's been describing, right? We call this the fruit. He's telling us that it's inextricably linked to the root. There's always two dynamics at play, the outer life and the inner life, the fruit of our life and the root. And so, uh, as I've kind of spent time with this passage this week, just meditating on it and, and praying, I think there's, there's kind of been three, three takeaways that have risen to the surface for me. And so that's just kind of be the, the structure this morning. Um, three things that I think Jesus is helping us see through this passage. First of all, he's going to caution us with something. He's going to confront us. And then lastly, he's going to comfort us. And so first I want to look at the caution that he gives us in this passage. And the caution is this, examine the fruit of our influencers. And, and, here's, and here's why I say this, because look at where this passage is coming in the sermon that Jesus is giving here. He has just finished talking about um, judging others and, and realizing the reality that we are all being taught, we are all being discipled, we're all learning from someone, right? Like he says in verse 40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. So Matt pointed this out last week, and it's been a theme for us these last couple weeks, that we are being taught. And so with that in mind, Jesus continues and he says, look at the world, you know that there's, there's good fruit and there's bad fruit. And so if we are to be asking ourselves this question, if I'm becoming like my teacher, or the influencers in my life, what type of fruit should they be bearing? So ask yourself this question. Who's teaching me? Who's influencing you? And, and there's probably some obvious things to come to mind, right? But, but think, just think on this for a minute, okay? Who, who are the, the voices speaking into my life? Who are the, the, the people that I find myself resonating with, learning from. And now ask yourself this question. Look at those voices. Look at those influences. How would you describe the fruit of their life? 
Think about the posts that fill up your social media feed, right? So take, take uh, the, the pages that you follow on Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is, the couple of you that use Twitter, right? Who, who is in your news feed? Okay, go to their page. Look at the, the body of work that they are putting out, right? What is the fruit that the people you are being influenced by looks like? These are the people we've chosen to follow, right? These are the people that we have given access to our lives. And, and so as, as you're scrolling you know, through, through social media, uh, you ask yourself, what's the tone of my news feed? As, as I'm scrolling, as I'm, as I'm being taught, am I growing in humility? Am I growing in empathy? Is is my compassion for others increasing? Is my, am I growing in wisdom? Or, as you're scrolling, do you find yourself growing in bitterness? Getting angry? Getting jealous? Prideful? Fearful? It's not just social media. I mean, there's other examples. Um, I think this is probably the clearest and the most prevalent, though, in our lives today. So that's kind of why I'm singling this out. But be sure of this. You are being taught. And some of us were feasting on bad fruit. Maybe it's time we do a, a news feed audit. Or maybe for some of us, a detox altogether. There's nothing but bad here, and it's not contributing to where we want to be spiritually. So think, think about it this way. If bad fruit, like Jesus talks about here, is an indicator of a bad tree, and our understanding of what a bad tree is is someone who treasures something other than Christ, why would we invite the regular presence of their teaching into our life? I honestly wrestle with that question. If, if, if I'm giving someone access to my life and they do not treasure Christ, is this someone that I really want to be taught by? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So here's the takeaway for us with Jesus' caution, I think, is do the work seeking out people and influences that are obviously bearing good fruit. So what does this mean? What is good fruit? Right? Well, if we look at the sermon, uh, the sermon on the plane here, there are some clues that tell us what Jesus is talking about when he says good fruit. For example, verse 27, loving enemies. This is good fruit, right? This is what people who live according to the kingdom of God are going to bring about in their life. We love our enemies we live generously, from verse 29. We live empathetically, verse 31. We live unselfishly, in verse 35. Verse 36 tells us to live mercifully. This is what fruit of a believer looks like. And, and I tell you what, if, if we're looking at, and we're taking Jesus' caution to be mindful of the people we're being influenced by, these types of people, the people bearing this kind of fruit, should stand out to us because it doesn't get much more countercultural than that. People living in these ways, as Jesus is describing, do not look like most of the world. And so they should be pretty easy to spot. 
And we, we look at Paul's list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 6, and we see that people who are filled by the Spirit are known by love, joy, peace, patience. You know the list. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. They're self-controlled. This is what people who are led by the Spirit of God bring about in their lives. This is the fruit that we want to recognize in the people who we're letting influence us. Now, I want to point out there's a few things that are not on that list that um, might be surprising, right? It's things that we would often view as good things, but for whatever reason, they don't make the cut biblically. Being well-spoken or eloquent. It's not on the list. Having success, right? Whether it be business success, financial success, not on the list. These are good things, not on the list. The ability to hold your own in an argument on Facebook, it's not on the list. My, my fear is that too often we've constructed this idea of what good fruit looks like. We call it maturity, but what we're actually describing is someone's ability to defend their faith more than actually live it out. Look for people bearing good fruit. When we see good fruit in people's lives, it's not a guarantee that their treasure is Christ. It's not a guarantee. But people who are filled with Christ, who are led by the Spirit, whose treasure is Christ, they will certainly look like this. So let's invite them to be our teachers. I think that's Jesus' caution for us, is to be mindful of who we're letting teach us and use this measure of the fruit in their lives. So then from there, I think this passage confronts us, which leads us to examine ourselves. So we, we, we start by kind of looking at others, which is in some ways a little bit easier to do, but then we bring it home. Jesus brings it home for us, right? He says uh, that the fruit of our own life reveals to us the areas where we need sanctification. And sanctification is just the word of being made complete in Christ. The areas where we still have work to do. And the fruit of our own life reveals this to us. And so as we saw in last week's passage, uh, Jesus teaches us not to judge others. And he has to say this because our inclination, and Jesus knows this, our inclination is to judge other people. We have an inherent pride that wants to be better than the next person. And so it is very easy for us to live out of that pride, live out of that insecurity, and look at the next person over and say, well, I'm better than them because of this, right? Or, or well, they're, they don't measure up in the ways that I measure up. But Jesus is saying, don't judge other people. Don't look at someone else's life and make judgments about them. Now, now this is, I, I think this is different than, than cautiously um, examining the fruit of someone's life because we're, we have to discern at some level who do we want to be speaking into our lives, like we just talked about. But Jesus is saying the, the judgment does not belong to us the judgment belongs to him. The fruit of our lives is going to speak for itself. 
We can, we can know whether a tree is good by the fruit that it bears. And so in a similar way, we don't need to judge someone. We don't need to make judgments about their character. Just look at their fruit. It speaks for itself. And what Jesus is doing here ultimately is he's warning us against hypocrisy. Do you remember the parable he used in last week's passage? Uh, he says, when you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that's in your own eye, how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself don't see the log that's in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Just like that illustration, our focus needs to be on examining our own life, not looking at judging the lives of those around us. Now notice again, I pointed this out earlier, but notice that there is not a commandment in this passage. Jesus isn't giving us a command. He's not saying, bear good fruit. Obviously, he wants us to bear good fruit. The whole sermon he's just preached has been about what good fruit looks like, and that is his intent for us. But, He's describing for us where good fruit comes from. And so I, on one hand, we could read this passage and we could think the, the point is good fruit. What's the point of the, the, the parable of the tree here or the, the metaphor of the tree? Well, the, the point is good fruit. But that, that would be a little bit like saying uh, the point of those, those uh, indicator lights on your car dashboard would be to make your dashboard look pretty. The, the point of those lights is not uh, to, to decorate your car, right? The, the point of those lights is they indicate something deeper that's going on. And so as, as, we, as we examine the fruit on display in our own lives, let's let that serve as a measure of the condition of the tree. W what is coming out of us is an indicator of where our heart is at. And and we, we can't take this seriously enough. Going back to the illustration of the car, about a year ago I had some uh, trouble with, with uh, low oil pressure in my Suburban, and, and so uh, you know, I had to deal with this for, for a little while. And, and um, it, it took numerous mechanics and, and a lot of dollars to finally get to the problem. But, but if, if when that low, low oil pressure light were to come on and I would just say, oh, time to add some more oil, Time to add some more oil, right? And, and not think any deeper about what's going on. I, I would not be driving my car today, probably, right? It would not be functioning the way it's supposed to. That light, when it comes on, it's an indicator that there's something broken at a very fundamental level and it needs to be addressed. And so these indicators in our life, when we look at our life, when we examine our life and we see sin, we see areas of our life where we're not living within the will of God. These indicators should shake us up or wake us up. When we see these things, we interpret them. We read them. They're telling us something. They're telling us our heart is treasuring something. You know, so instead of just, I sinned again, bummer, we, we got to stop and we got to ask ourselves, where is that coming from? What is, what is this revealing about the treasure of my heart, the condition of where I'm inclined, my affections? It should cause us to repent. And, and Jesus, I mean, in John 15, he says, those who do not bear fruit, I will cut off. 
We can't take this seriously enough. And I think this is difficult for a lot of us. I know this is difficult for me um, to, to view sin in my life as an indicator of something deeper. Because honestly, it takes work. And it, it takes some discomfort. And uh, I, I really appreciate uh, Brandon. We, we were uh, discussing this this week as a staff. And Brandon Haverland, uh, who was up here earlier, he's, he's working on getting our uh, biblical counseling program going here at the church here in the near future, which we're very excited about. Um, and so, so he had some helpful insight in, in some of these types of questions that we ask ourselves to help us identify what our heart's treasure is. Because this, this is difficult, but, but these are some diagnostic questions that we can ask ourselves to help us see where our treasure is. What makes you angry? What is it that when you, when you find yourself blowing up, what, what caused that? Where is there conflict in your life? What are you trying to control? What are you working hard to protect? You see, we all guard our treasure, whatever it is. And, and whether that treasure is, is being well-respected, like I, I know in my life, when, when, when I have moments of sinful anger uh, toward my, my wife, Oftentimes, that comes out when I feel disrespected and I'm guarding the treasure of respect me, right? When, when, I, when I find myself getting frustrated and um, irritable with my kids, what is, what is coming out in that moment? Is, is the desire to, to, to disciple and shepherd and parent my kids? Or, or am I guarding this idea of being viewed as, as a good, successful parent? Right? What am I treasuring in these moments? When, when someone comes to me and says, hey, I see this in your life, and I respond instead of with humility, but I respond with defensiveness. What am I guarding? I know for me, often, it's, I'm guarding this idea of being thought of a certain way or, or being viewed in a certain light. Sins are not simply sins, but they're indicators of something deeper. They reveal to us what the treasure of our heart is. And so we're confronted with this. We need to wrestle with this. And, and so just as, as Jesus has cautioned us through this passage, just as he's, he's confronted us now, ultimately, and this is what the gospel always does, he comforts us, right? When, when, when we apply scripture to our lives when we look at the gospel and we look at what Jesus has done, we don't walk away beat down. We, we work through conviction and ultimately if that leads us to Christ, we walk away comforted. So that's, our, that's my final takeaway from this passage is the comfort that he is showing us here. And, and here's the key. If we walk away from this passage saying, I need to work harder to bear more fruit, then we've completely missed the point. That's never the point of the gospel. If your gospel tells you to work harder, then you're not preaching to yourself 
the gospel of Jesus. Here's how we find comfort in this passage, because the point of the passage leads us to treasure Christ, and in doing so, his goal is not more work for us, but more worship. The Sermon on the Plain uh, is Jesus' way of describing life in the kingdom of God, and it's, it's contrasted with those outside of the kingdom. And, and Jesus explains that this is how the world works. What you worship is what you begin to resemble. Look in verse 45. This is, this is what he says. He says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. We shouldn't be surprised when we look around us and we see um, a world and its systems that is bearing evil fruit. Because think about it this way. In, in the absence of Christ, the world is worshiping the only thing it knows to worship, which is itself, right? And so we, apart from Christ, end up worshiping ourselves which leads to an abundance of bad fruit. Now, that's not to say that culture hasn't identified accurately areas of sin, systems of injustice and brokenness and sinfulness that need to be addressed, that need to be dealt with and eradicated. And time after time, it is attempted to overcome these things or atone these things through social means. Here's the problem, though. They're not addressing the worship issue. They're addressing the fruit. The world tries to solve its problems. The world tries to achieve righteousness through moral transformation as it defines morality, right? But this type of moral transformation will never result in true righteousness because it's not the root of righteousness. Righteousness never comes about as a result of moral transformation. Moral transformation is always the fruit. Culture gets this backwards. So there's division, there's turmoil because they're neglecting the root of the problem. They're neglecting to identify what is the treasure when we do this, ultimately, we're just trying to save a dying tree. And we're going to keep scratching our heads wondering, why don't things get better? Have you gotten to that point in your life? Have you experienced this? I keep trying to fix the broken parts in my life, but for some reason, they're not getting better. You're trying to make your life look the way you want it to look and you're just wearing yourself out. And so here's the good news of Jesus from this passage. Here's the comfort that he brings to us from this passage. You don't have a fruit problem. You don't have a fruit problem. You have a root problem. Paul Tripp, uh, author and, and pastor, he wrote this earlier this week. He says, if sin is the problem, then you need something more powerful to defeat it than education, politics, etc. You need the renovation of the heart that only God's grace can accomplish. 
I'll read that again. He tweeted this earlier this week, and, and it, it just it screamed to me as I was studying this passage. It said, if sin is the problem, then you need something more powerful to defeat it than education, politics, etc. You need the renovation of the heart that only God's grace can accomplish. Apart from Christ, the only thing we have to try to solve this problem of sin is striving for moral transformation, striving for better politics, uh, better, better uh, education, better ethics. None of those things are big enough to uproot the sin in our lives and give us a healthy tree. What is big enough? The grace of God. The grace of God. It's found in him. And, and here's, here's what I think we need to catch. Jesus is not saying the point of this passage is to look at our fruit. Look at the works in our life. Works are good, right? We like works. Works are great. But when we start to focus on the work in our life, the, the works in our life, and make that, make that our end, our end goal, here's what happens. Because we're sinful, prideful humans, we start to think, I'm doing pretty good if I see good work, right? If I see good fruit, then what that does is it starts to lead to pride in us. Or on the opposite end of this, we look at the fruit and we spend our, focus, our time focusing on the fruit and we, we see bad fruit. We see a lot of areas that we, we don't like. And, and apart from looking at the treasure of Christ, we look at the fruit. If that's our focus, then, then what we do is we start to fret or we start to doubt or we start to worry and this leads us to anxiety, because we can never produce the good fruit that God desires on our own. Our focus can't be on what is visible. Our focus has to be on what is invisible. Our focus can't be on what people see in us. Jesus says, focus on what is unseen. And, and there's a trajectory here Right? If, if we're focusing on the outward appearance, that, that's moving us towards pride or it's moving us towards despair. But if our, if our trajectory is in repentance and in humility as we, as we dive deeper into the grace of God, then he nourishes the tree from the root up. And the more we focus on Jesus, the more we realize that ultimately he is... He is to be treasured above everything else. And, and this is the point of all of Scripture, right? This is, this is what God is communicating to us through his word over and over and over again, all the way back in the Old Testament. Look at what he says in Ezekiel chapter 11. This is God talking about his people and saying, when you focus on me as your treasure, this is what you get. He says, I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. But as for those whose heart goes after their detestable things and their abominations, I will bring their deeds upon their own heads, declares the Lord God. This is the good news. When we treasure God, we get a new heart. But even better than that, 
we get God. We get God. He is the source of our life. And he's promised that when we have him, we don't have just a little of him, right? We don't just get, get a piece of him. We have him in abundance. Look at what Jesus says in John 1, 16. He says, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. I like to just keep repeating that phrase when I read that grace upon grace upon grace. Titus chapter three, uh, verse three says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. When, when our focus can move from being on what our life is producing. We, we, obviously, we see, we've, we've seen God calls us to use the, the realities of our life as indicators to evaluate, but our focus cannot stop there. That only leads us to more of ourselves. But when he says, when, when your focus is on the root, when your focus is on what is your heart inclined towards? What, what is it that you are growing in affection for? When that becomes your focus, when, when, we, when we come to God and we receive his gracious love, his mercy that he offers us freely of, of nothing that we came and brought to him, he, he offers it to us. When, when that becomes our focus, we invite him to do the work of growing us up in him, bringing union to us and leading us through his spirit as we bear good fruit. He wants to bring about total renovation in our life. And he's the only one that can do it. But the real treasure is that in responding to his invitation in faith, we gain him. The fruit was never the goal. He is. What are you worshiping? When, when left to your own thoughts, what is it that you are drawn towards? Who's teaching you? I want to. I want to let you know about an opportunity we're we're doing. Um, I think Brandon and Nick mentioned it earlier, but this Wednesday night we are um, we're offering a uh, midweek opportunity here at the church from seven to eight p.m. here on Wednesday night. We're we're just calling a midweek prayer service, and the focus of it is very very simple. We're not going to have any any flashy bells or whistles, anything um, you know, a lot of production, anything like that. It's simply going to be an invitation to unplug from everything else going on in your week and come pray. Just come focus on the affection of God rising up in us and, and our, our, in the seeking after him, 
inviting that to, to grow and develop and uh, receiving more of him. So I, I want to extend that as an invitation to you if, if you're able and, and if that is something that you can participate in. Um, I, I feel like this is, this is something that God is, is leading us towards as a church is more opportunities where we can just simply treasure Christ. Pursue him in prayer. Pursue him in worship. So that's happening this Wednesday. But uh, as, as I wrap up here, as I invite the band back up, and as we move towards communion, I just want to kind of close things out by, by looking at three takeaway questions from this passage. And, and I've ranked them, good, better, and best. And, and I think that uh, as, as we look at this passage um, and we see the, the, the heart of Jesus in it and, and what he has for us, this is kind of why I've ranked these. So a good question, going back to the, the caution that he gives us at the beginning. What fruit do I see in those whom I have invited to be my teachers? Am I learning from people who are consistently yielding the fruit of a changed life? This is a good question we should be asking ourselves. A better question than that, as I examine myself. If someone were to live their life solely based on what they see in me, would I want to imitate that person? Did you follow me there? So if, if someone bases their life off of what they see in my life, the fruit of my life, would I then want to imitate that person? Would they be a person that I would want to imitate? And then ultimately, I think the best question we can ask ourselves from this passage is, is Christ the treasure of my heart? Simple as that. Is Christ your treasure? We, we have the opportunity to take communion each week, and um, so I'm going to invite us towards that right now. And, and part of what this is intended to do is move us towards treasuring Christ more. And, and the reason why is because when we look at the act of love that he displayed for us on the cross, when we look at his blood poured out and his body broken for us, that moves us towards worship. It moves us towards remembering and celebrating again what Jesus has done. So go ahead and open up your packet. Uh, the bread is on top. I'm gonna lose mine here. Um, but we are going to do this together this morning. I'm gonna read from 1 Corinthians 11 as we, uh, as we partake in this. So in 1 Corinthians 11... Paul writes this, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Take the juice. Jesus, because of your sacrifice for us, because of what you did on our behalf, we, we desire to exalt you to the highest place in our lives, to treasure you above all else. 
We thank you for what you've done. And, and God, we ask that you move us towards more worship. Move us towards a greater affection for you. May our, our lives be obviously reflecting the reality that you are the treasure of our hearts. God, we know that you do that work in us. We cannot do it on our own. And so that's, that's what we are doing here today is we're inviting you to do a good work in our hearts, to draw us nearer to you as we look at your sacrifice, as we look to your faithfulness, to your goodness, to your mercy, and we worship you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's continue to worship.